Welcome to Questions About Heaven, a podcast about giving Bible answers to our questions about the afterlife with God. Each week we seek to answer real-life questions with biblical answers about the life beyond this world. Now, here's your host, Brad Zockel. Welcome back. This is Brad Zockel, and I want to thank you once again for joining me in our Questions About Heaven podcast, and as we get talking about Revelation, my goodness, we are seeing some amazing things here, which will help open up the understanding about our eternal residence as we work our way toward those promises of the new heaven and new earth of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We find some amazing things here. As I said before, there's a lot of uh, Christians, there are a lot of Christians that would say, you know, I just can't read this book. It's confusing. It is scary. Well, I can understand this. We have a lot of symbolism here, a lot of graphic illustration of some brutal events, but also some mind-bending, eternal blessing events, and just things that even as John, I remember Daniel was just the same way in Daniel's visions, how he was overwhelmed and John is overwhelmed. So there's no problem if we look at some things and say, wow, you know, I'm just not sure if I grasp that. But that's okay. That's okay. Because what we do in the scriptures is let's look at what we can understand and build from there. As we get to understand the 66 books of the Bible and see how many times we see cross-references of prophecies toward Revelation and references back to the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we look about we talk about heaven and such like that. When we're looking at the background here, we're looking at the writer of John. John is uh, he has been well, he's been imprisoned. Let's say that he has been in prison for oh, it's going to be about eighteen months, as my studies will show me here. During the latter part of his ministry. There was an emperor there, a very brutal emperor, who wanted to suppress Christianity, Domitian. And what he did is he stepped up his persecution of Christians, and he took this elderly man and put him on the Isle of Patmos, the island of Patmos, basically because he was preaching and because he was known as a believer of Jesus Christ. Now, the emperor Nerva, it's going to be about 96, 98 uh, A.D. We're not exactly sure of the exact year, but you're going to be close in that. Uh, he was uh, given reprieve from that, and so the Apostle John goes back to Ephesus. This is where he was ministering. He was in Ephesus. You know the book of Ephesians? and This is where he was going, and that's where he was arrested, and he's taken back there to resume his uh, ministry there and his leadership there. And in this, what we see is not a stepping back in his ministry. If anything, you're seeing an enhancement of his ministry. There are times of isolation when God will take you and bring you closer to him and let you understand him more than in any other time. Well, it seems to be so here. You know, I have a lot of friends who in the midst of sickness, suffering, uh, isolation, that their, their testimony just grew amazingly or their understanding of the personal walk with God is just so powerful. Well, we see this here. Here's what John says in this book. He's not just talking about Jesus, the miracle worker, Jesus, the shepherd. You'll see in chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, Jesus is the glorified Son of Man. That's a phrase that Daniel used 
and every Jewish reader would understand. That's a reference to the Messiah. So we're seeing that he is, uh, Jesus is referred to as the glorified Son of Man, chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. But he's also referred to, chapter 5, go over there, and he's referred to as the Lion of Judah. And in the same chapter, he is also called the Worthy Lamb, chapter 5, look in verses 8 through 13. Then you go over to chapter 12, verse 5, you have another name, the Son, the Son who will rule all. It reminds you, take uh, back to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, and it talks about the, uh, the son, you know, unto us a son is born, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But then it goes and says, and then he will be known as the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Well, that ties in here to chapter 12 and verse 5, Isaiah 9, 6, uh, chapter 12 and verse 5 of Revelation. The son will be the ruler. Okay, now you continue on, go to chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, and he's known as the bridegroom. It's a wonderful wedding feast that is there, the assembly of believers from all ages and cultures and races, the believers in Jesus Christ are considered the bride. The union is amazing. He's the bridegroom. And then, of course, you see this magnificent, magnificent phrase, he is, chapter 19, verse 16, he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of all lords of all ages of all time. Chapter 19, verse 16 says he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And he is the ruler in chapter 20 uh, and chapter 22. You will see that uh, chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, and 22, verses 1 and 3, he's the ruler. And he has earned the right of the earthly rule of the new earth that is coming up. This is going to be the abode of God. And in chapter 22, you see that this is going to be his kingdom forever. So when we see that, we are seeing this is a preface to the amazing things that we're seeing whenever we're looking at this passage here. In Revelation chapter 1, we've just touched on it already. We're looking at the magnificence of Jesus. Now we're going into now into chapter uh, 11. We, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Now, you need to write this down, John. And then, chapter 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now, when he's in the lampstands, we talked about this. That represents the churches. Seven is a number of completeness. So, this is not only the complete community at that time, in 92-93 AD, but this is really talking about the churches of all times. A complete message for a church, because one church down the road here in your place might be a wonderful Bible-believing church, but there's a weakness there that God needs to deal with. And then your own assembly might be a powerful testimony for the Lord, but there's also something that needs to be dealt with. And the Lord is talking about this gently but firmly in saying, you need to understand I cannot bless you, and I cannot see your ministry increase as long as these small things are going on, because these small things in your eyes are very large things in the overall ministry. So that's what's going on here. He is going to talk. There will be seven churches. Seven is the number of completeness, so we can learn from this. Two of these churches are commended in strengths. And you, you remember a teacher, a very good teacher that you used to have, and you would get very frustrated on something, 
And in the midst of their correcting you, they would always give you encouragement. They would tell you of the good things. And that meant a lot to you. Well, it's the same thing here. In two out of these seven churches, there is a commendation. You're doing good. I want to encourage you, says the Lord. Now, in five of these churches, there are things in which he says, well, overall, I want to name the overall things you're doing okay, but there are things that need to be brought out. You see, the Lord is not only our teacher here, our rabbi, teaching our churches and leading our churches. He is our comfort. He is our encouragement in here, our empowerment of these churches. And we'll continue more with that. I want to go to the description of him. And when it says this, when I turned around and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one was like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. It's like a cummerbund. Gold represented in the Bible is godness. And in that uh, understanding of this, we are looking at deity. This is not just the, uh, a human general admiral Messiah that's going to make a political upheaval. This is the eternal Messiah. He is God. About the middle of him, it's emphasized that he is God, the gold representation. The robe going down to his feet, the common man would have a robe that would not be gone down that far because he had so much work to do. Carpenters, those that were running errands, those were merchants, they would have a robe that would go down not to their knees a little bit, maybe just a little bit lower, so they could pull them up and move quickly or tie them up uh, um, around their belt. But for those that had robes going down to their feet, there were special offices. One was a priest because they're moving about in solemnity, and so this is uh, letting us know. This is one of the things we can see as the Lord. He is our priest. He is our intermediary between God and man. He is making a way for us. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, there is one God and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And we look at this and we are reminded that he is our priest. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, he is a high priest who has experienced those trials and temptations that we have, but he never sinned powerful, powerful relation to us, letting us know the personalness of the Lord Jesus Christ to help us. Also, you would uh, see with the long robe would be the robe of a judge. A judge does not have to move around. He is at the bench. He is listening and ruling right. He is just. And this also reminds us that even though he's a priest, he's also a judge. Uh, there will not be those, despite what's very popularly taught today, that everybody makes heaven, you know, a universalist type of thinking. Everybody makes heaven. No, the Bible tells you, and you're reminded by this robe, it's a robe of judging, and that will be enhanced by the next appearance, but I'll, I'll move on. And then a long robe is the robe of a king. A king has an extremely long robe, and he is there, and he is directing, and he is, has authority, so he does not have to move about himself that much. He is on the throne and moving, and so this is a great opening uh, illustration of who the Lord is. And when it talks about this, his head and hair were white like wool, a powerful, powerful expression of purity, not only purity, he is doing right. He's the righteous judge. And remember I told you this, righteous really means the way things were supposed to be in the first place, the way things are supposed to be in the first place. A righteous judge you go in and you sit in the gallery and this judge takes a fellow that has had 17 DUIs and has injured somebody. And he's gone through a very lenient system in the past, 
but someone leans over to you and nudges you and says, this is a righteous judge. This guy's going to get hammered on this one. And the judge says, you are going in and you're going to go uh, behind bars for a long time. And everybody says, finally, what should have been done in the first place? Yes, that's a righteous judge. Well, that's what righteousness means. And in here, it's saying this, the one here, the Lord is the righteous judge. He is doing what is proper and pure, the hair white like wool. And it also talks about, especially in the Middle East, they would understand this, the elderly are treated with great respect, wisdom with age, wisdom with age. It's funny, when I go over to Israel, I've been over twice, when I go over there, I'm treated with a respect, and I'm treated respectfully here in America for the most part, but over there, I'm telling you, you know, I went over to some young people, some soldiers, uh, as we were over near the Western Wall, and a part of my group, we just decided as we were going around, we just want to stop and get some bagels. I mean, seriously, all I wanted was bagels. And I said, if you'll hang here, I'll go over and I'll ask the soldiers there. I don't mean to interrupt them. And they're all speaking in Hebrew. But when I came over, they immediately snapped to attention and took me very seriously. Not one spoke. And they had very excellent English. And as I asked them, and I was almost embarrassed, I said, I'm just you know, looking for a bagel, uh, a place. Can you direct from where we're standing? And they took it serious and they talked about it as if we were planning, uh, you know, uh, the next big New Year's event or maybe uh, ideas for uh, a parade or a construction of a house. Very serious. And then one soldier said, I will take you there myself, uh, sir. And I was called sir and treated with respect and escorted me about a block away. And the other ones had to follow because they didn't have gray hair. And I thought, you know, I could, I could really get into this. We were treated well because we we're taught in the Middle Eastern world, those with gray hair are highly esteemed. The wisdom, you know, as it talks about in Daniel, that God himself is called the Ancient of Days, and that's a title of great respect. So you're seeing this here. In that, we also see that the Lord is being called the Ancient of Days. He is, has wisdom with respect there. And then on, on here, it's white as snow, white meaning the purity, and his eyes are a flame of fire. And isn't that a powerful, powerful description? Eyes a flame of fire. So what's fire? Well, every time we look in the Bible, the symbolism for fire is holy judgment. I mean, think about it. Moses sees the burning bush. What is this about, Lord? Well, it's time that we had holy judgment against your captors, your, uh, your, your oppressors. Egypt's going to be judged, right? Sodom and Gomorrah, the sin is wicked. Fire comes down from the sky, so we know it's from God, and it immolates the entire population in judgment because of the wickedness going on. Fire is seen. It says our Lord is a consuming fire in the Bible. And in that, we're seeing that the Lord is looking upon people. He will do right. He's looking. Is a person for him or against him? Is he a believer or not a believer? Eyes a flame of fire. I find this most fascinating because, look, if you go in chapter 2 and you move over to verse 18, you will then see this again uh, on here. In this passage, and the angel of the church in Thyatira writes, these things says the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire. It's reminding you he is judging. Then you go over to Revelation chapter 19, all the way near the end of the book, and you're looking in verse 12, and you will also see this. Uh, in 
Armageddon. Christ is coming down on the horse, and he is called faithful and true. What does verse 12 say? His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And so we're seeing him through here, victorious, the righteous judge, and we're also reminded in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, there is no thing hidden to this Lord. Nothing is hidden from him, but all is open before the eyes to the one with whom we have to do. The Lord does look upon us, and he is the righteous judge. And I want you to think about that right now, because the very first question put up by Job as we look in the very opening uh, walk of the questions in the Bible was this, why does God not judge the evil? Habakkuk questioned the Lord himself, why do you not judge the ungodly? When will justice come? Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the martyrs, Lord, why do you not judge? And you see the judging now. You will see that the Lord is showing. I am going by my time frame, but I am going to be true and faithful in my judgment of the wicked. So we will see justice done. Well, there's more I can say, but what I'm going to do right now is I'll stop there and we'll continue on in our description of Jesus walking into what's called the metatauta, and that's the Greek word for after these things. You could call it in in English, you could say the hereafter or the future. We're walking that way to chapter 4, but right now it's so important for us to see verse by verse the Jesus of the judgment, the Jesus of the righteousness, and the Jesus of the kingdom. Thank you so much. Let's continue on in our walk through Revelation. Thanks for joining us this week on Questions About Heaven with Brad Zockel of the Zulon International Bible Institute. Be sure to visit our website, zulon.org, to learn more about our Bible ministry. That's X-U-L-O-N dot org. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. And keep an eye out for our upcoming ebook, Questions About Heaven. Thanks, God bless you, and have a great day.